You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore dada. So today what I'm going to do is take a crack at um, take a crack at looking at the Bucks myself. We had a guest on yesterday. Very grateful for him to be able to come on, clarify a few points. Um but he's obviously looking at things through a very heavy pro bucks lens, which is somewhat fair because it's a very good football team. But I want to look at it through a not quite as pro bucks lens. Before we get to that, however, little news and notes, not a whole lot going on. However, um, pretty good news on the injury front. Um, Bakhtiari did practice once again today, which seems to be good news, although again, no news is good news, <laughs> which usually means something else. But in this case, it just means that there is no news that's good news. There isn't any good news. There isn't any news you can get that's that's good. It's just news. doesn't matter how good it is. It's not good. It's just news. Unless the news is David Bakhtiari is officially 100% healthy and will play, it's just news. But we'll take it as not bad news. I'll take not bad news. Some other very good news. Um, it seems like it might not be the battle of the two teams with no wide receivers. Alan Lazard, Christian Watson, Mercedes Lewis all practicing today. Randall Cobb is out with an illness. I don't think that's going to keep him out for the game. But bottom line, um, the only guys who didn't practice are Sammy Watkins, Randall Cobb, and Mason Crosby. Mason Crosby, apparently, we were told, is very much expected to play I would assume again Randall Cobb is going to play. So that really just leaves Sammy Watkins and his and his uh his hamstring, which is a you know, hamstrings are always scary to begin with. As soon as I saw Christian Watson had a hamstring issue, I thought this could be problematic. The fact that he's practicing is fantastic, but not everybody's hamstring is gonna go like that. And when you have a guy like Sammy Watkins who has a history of issues, specifically, you know, hamstring issues, then um you maybe are a little bit less optimistic. So we'll see how it goes. But it sounds like we're pretty much all go right now. And I don't want to sit here and be all optimistic about stuff. But it's entirely possible that we not only have everybody that we had before, with the exception of Sammy, but we get David Bakhtiari back on top of it. So you get Bakhtiari, Jenkins back in his second week. Then you basically got your crew of, you know, 
Watson, Lazard, Dobbs, running backs, Tunyon, Deguara, blah, 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 blah. You get the idea. Anyways, uh, I think that's it. There's not a whole lot else going on. Um, trying to keep my eyes open for some Tampa Bay Buccaneers news, as well as some official Packers news. I haven't seen the official, official report yet. Here's the most important thing to keep in mind, and that is, as I said before, this is not the same Tampa Bay Buccaneer team we had faced in the past. So let's let's go over a little bit of history first, because even for myself, this can be a little kind of lost. Because for me, it kind of felt like, well, the Packers play the Bucs about every year, and they get smoked and smashed and bashed, and it's a big, giant disaster. But if we ask the question, how many times has Aaron Rodgers in his entire career played against Tampa Bay? The answer is six. Only two of those have come in the Matt LaFleur era. The time before that that he played Tampa Bay was in 2014. So it's two games that we're looking at. One of them was in the playoffs. So it's, it's really a one-game sample size in which Aaron Rodgers and the Matt LaFleur Green Bay Packers went to Tampa Bay, and that was a, clearly that was a terrible game, 38-10, to 10, but it is a one-game sample size. That's it. But by the way, the Aaron Rodgers Florida thing I think is also somewhat exaggerated. Um, if you look at it, there's three teams in Florida, right? His record against Tampa is one and three, which is not great. We're talking regular season stats. Two of those games came in 2008 and 2009. Then one was in 2014 that Aaron Rodgers won, and then this last one here. Okay, who else is in Florida? Well, Jacksonville is in Florida. Aaron Rodgers won one and lost one. And the loss came in 2008. So aside from his rookie season, we're looking at what? Two losses in Florida? Because the other team is the Miami Dolphins. And he's 1-0 and in Miami. So again, I can't help but think that this whole floor, Aaron Rodgers can't play in Florida thing is slightly overrated. Compared to what? Do you know what his road record is against Washington? It's 0-3. Do you know what his road record is in Tennessee? It's 0-2. Do you know what it is in Seattle? It's 1-4 or 1-3. I mean, you can nitpick things all you want, but Florida as a whole is not that bad, aside from, again, Tampa. But there's a lot of places that are like that. What about New Orleans? One and three in New Orleans on the road in his career. I mean, his road record against Minnesota is sub-500. He's 0-2 against Indy on the road, 0-1 against Denver, 1-2 against Carolina, 1-3 against Atlanta. I mean, it's just kind of a road issue in general, With and there's some teams that more than others, I guess. But let's not blow this Florida thing out of proportion. Because if that's the case, again, we got a lot of other issues. Again, the next road game after this is Washington. He's never won a game in Washington, ever. After that is Buffalo. He's 0-1 in Buffalo. So I, I, I just, I don't care about the Florida thing. If we're going to do the Florida thing, then we have to do everybody else too. He's got a good road record against Detroit. He's got, he's 2-1 against Philadelphia. I guess that's okay. Miami 1-0. Do we, do we say it's Florida so we're in trouble, or do we look at the fact that he's 1-0 against Miami on the road and say that's a good thing? Which made-up thing are we going to worry about? So again, it's, it's, in my opinion, of all the games that actually matter, I'm not talking about his losses in 2008 and 2009 in the state of Florida. I'm not necessarily even looking at playoff losses because obviously the Packers have a, their own issues in the playoffs. I'm looking at one game that added, ended in disaster when this version of the Buccaneers played this version of the Packers and the Buccaneers smoked the Packers. That's the thing I'm honing in on that I find interesting. And again, I'm looking at here, let me, let me just play this because this is this is what this is all you're gonna hear forever. 
Here is Kay Adams giving you some of the information that I just gave you and then some. Shot. Not that I wish negativity upon anyone. It's just something that I've been collecting over the years. It's a secret. It's not. Aaron Rodgers can't take the heat. This is the old... What are you talking about? It's a secret. This is the oldest trope in the history of the universe. I'm just going to put it out there. He... Can you look up the weather in Tampa at game yeah. time? Late window on Fox. Let me give you some numbers on Aaron Rodgers here. He's 3-5 and five in his career in the state of Florida. In Again, I just gave you that. He's undefeated against Miami. One and one against Jacksonville. One and three, I think I said, against Tampa. Two of those games came in the first two years of his career, which would make him one and one in somewhat recent history. Oh and one in actual recent history. The problem with a lot of this is the sample size is so unbelievably small. It's so small. There's one game that really matters. Two in semi-recent history, and he's one and one. So it's, it's silliness. Including what we saw last year, week one, against the Saints, played in Jacksonville, maybe by design. He has 11 touchdowns. I don't know how many interceptions. He who does not throw interceptions, I don't know how many he has. I didn't count the Saints game. That's fair enough. Whatever. Many. 11 and 11. 11 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Woof. 60% completions. He well, well, we'll get there in a minute, but again, small sample size. When, when one of the worst games of your entire career encompasses about, you know, one of four or five games, yeah, the stats are going to be skewed negative. There's no question. Um, by the way, if you look at some of his worst, like somebody had thrown out something about his pick sixes in Tampa or whatever. If you look at all his picks and all this stuff on, on, in road games, of, the, of all the games in which he threw like three picks, a bunch of them are in Florida or down south somewhere in warm weather teams, whatever. Three of the four, I think, came in 2008 and 2009, his first two years. So a lot of this is just not interesting information. He's only thrown 10 interceptions in the last three years. He has 11 in eight games played in Florida. Give me the weather. What's 89 the degrees on Sunday? 89. Woo! 89. Do you know how many games he's played? in 80-plus degree weather in recent history? Do you know how many? Two. Yeah, now, he's 0-2. The one game was against New Orleans, the other was against Tampa. But it's such a small sample size. If you're going to throw all that into that, well, fine, then he can't beat Washington. He's 0-3 in Washington, so we should just forfeit that one. You can't take ridiculously small sample sizes, anything that's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and, and pretend it's something. Now, it's entirely possible that it's a thing. I'm just saying, I don't know. How could I possibly know? Dude, the amount of spam calls is crazy. So yeah, I mean, look, here's, here's the best thing I can give you with the, the heat thing, all right? He's played two games in real bad heat. The result of those games were 38-10 and 38-3. Now, I, I find it staggeringly hard to believe that that is, is that big of a deal, but maybe it is. And then we're screwed because <laughs> it's going to be 90. But here's the problem. You can't say Aaron Rodgers has an issue in the heat because what about the offensive line and their inability to block for Aaron Rodgers and the amount of pressure he was under? Okay, so Rodgers is bad in the heat and our entire offensive line struggles in the heat. Okay, what about the running backs and, and their inability to run the ball? How about the fact that in both of those games, they scored 38 points. The entire defense played like garbage. So it's not an Aaron Rodgers thing. It's our entire team is not able to play in the heat. Well, they're a cold weather team. That's stupid. 
the vast majority of teams do not play in the heat. They're either playing in domes or they're playing somewhere that is not 90 degrees. How many teams play outside in 90 degree heat? Isn't Buffalo a cold weather team? Do you know last year they beat Miami in Miami 35 to 0? That was September 19th. It was a high of 90 degrees that day. Cold weather Buffalo, who plays outside up north, went down in the heat of 90 degree Miami, Florida and beat them 90 to 0. So I, I guess there's just holes for me. Maybe, maybe the, you know, why does this team always lose after a bye? I, maybe it's just a, 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 some kind of a flaw with the way Matt LaFleur runs things to not get guys prepared for changes, right? Str- same thing is happening in California. Every time they go out to California, they got whooped. They play in heat, they get whooped. After a bye, they get whooped. Week one, they get whooped, right? I mean, it's just, there's just these weird things, which is weird for a team that almost never loses to have these big, long track records of every time you do this, you lose. So it's kind of a when the stars align thing, which is what makes me nervous about Tampa Bay to begin with. I'm just saying it's, it's not as it seems. If we're being honest about it and actually cut out the games and the situations that don't make any sense, yeah, it leans a certain way, but it's such a small sample size, it's useless. So why don't we strip that all away and just look at two teams? And if you want to dock them because they're away, you should, because the Packers play significantly worse on the road. If you want to strip away some points because it's hot, that's fair. It's hard to play in the heat, especially when you're not acclimated to it. But let's just look at the teams. Because again, we're also looking at the 2020 Packers and the 2020 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 2020 Packers are a good football team, no question about it. Number one ranked offense in terms of points, number five in yards, all that jazz. Buccaneers, though, are also a different team. Defense was dominant, especially at stopping the run. Hardest thing in the world to do against them was run the ball. You're not able to do it. You just can't do it. Then you become one-dimensional. Then they pin their ears back. Then they attack the quarterback. And then you're done. On top of that, they ranked third in points and seventh in yards offensively. Very, very good passing offense and the most dominant run defense. Number one in attempts, yards, touchdowns, and yards per attempt. So far this year, that dominant offense is ranked 18th. Now it's it's two games, so it's a really small sample size, and who you play and all that stuff makes a big difference, and all you know whatever. But they rank 26th in running the ball, which is a big deal for a team that doesn't have wide receivers right now. 3.6 yards per attempt. Their offense ranks 29th in first downs. That rush defense that was absolutely bone crushing is ranked 19th, giving up 4.5 yards per attempt on average. You say, well, how is it possible that a team could be bad at stopping the run and give up, you know, passing yards, but only allow 10 points? Because there were 208 yards passing and 100 yards rushing. You know how? Five turnovers by the New Orleans Saints. Five. So, I mean, very similar to what happened in the Packer game where the, the Packers are driving very easily down the field against the Bears and then cough up a fumble. That was the first turnover of the game. The Saints are marching down the field. They're just about to score. There's really no resistance. The running back fumbles, and the Bucks recover. The next play, Jameis throws into double coverage, tries to throw a 60-yard bomb. The receiver does him no favors by just completely outrunning the ball, doesn't try to come back and get it, and so it's an easy pick for the defense. But again, Tampa's, Tampa's to the 50-yard line. It's not like they couldn't do anything. They're moving the ball. They're getting down there, and they decide to dial one up. And so, you know, it's an underthrown 60-yard pass. Go figure. After that, you got the Saints on like the 25-yard line 
Jameis just throws a horrific ball. I don't know where it's supposed to go, but throws it right to the defense. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> well, I mean, we'll, we'll continue through these, but the Packers are not going to turn over the ball five times, knock on wood. How in the world, explain to me how in the world you only score 20 points when the defense gives you the ball five times. How many possessions did they have? We know they had at least one, either at the beginning of the game and at the beginning or, or at the beginning of the half. They had five possessions off of turnovers, and they had at least two possessions after the Saints scored. They scored a touchdown and a field goal. So they had at least eight possessions, and they got 20 points out of it. I don't know how the, how the defense can give you five swings at this, and you, I don't know. And again, this one was in, you would be in Saints territory to start. Maybe they got points off of this one. I don't know. The next series, same thing, except this time they're in, again, Bucks territory at about the 45-yard line. They're driving, they get down the field, and he tries to squeeze a ball into a guy that's, that's double covered. It's, it's zone defense. The guy's standing there with defenders on either side just staring like, you really going to do this right now? Please do this. And they just very easily jump the route. And actually, this was a pick six, so it wasn't even the offense. The defense just went ahead and got you seven of your 20 points. I got I to gotta go back and see. Sorry, I'm watching a video here. I got to go back and see how many of these points were actually defensive points because it seems to me the defense didn't do a great job of stopping the Saints aside from getting hand me, uh, you know, hand me down interceptions. And the offense didn't really put up a whole lot of points on their own. You know, I'm talking driving the field type of thing. I'm sure they did a couple times. I don't know. I got to go look at it. So you got three picks and then you got two fumble recoveries. Mark Ingram fumbled, recovered by the Bucks. Chris Olave fumbled, recovered by the Bucks. By the way, Jameis fumbled. So there were almost six turnovers, but they, they were able to fall on that one. That was a strip sack. They ended up punting, I think, right after that. So, I mean, good job by Tampa's defense, but, I mean, what is this? So, yeah, I mean, very impressive that they've only allowed this many points. But if I'm not mistaken, the Dallas Cowboys and the New Orleans Saints played like garbage on offense. Dak Prescott went out with an injury. And Cooper Rush came in, and I don't think there was a downgrade. It was a pathetic performance. In fact, let's look at it. Um, the Bucks didn't score their first points until the third quarter. On that, on that series, they started at the 43, 43-yard line, their own 43. They made it to the 29. So they, they, they went 28 yards and kicked a field goal. That's all they were able to do is get 28 yards and get a field goal out of it. They didn't get their first touchdown until halfway through the fourth quarter. It was 3-3 three to three, all the way through the halfway point of the fourth quarter. And that's when Jameis threw that pick, intended for Curis Olave, intercepted by Jamel Dean. This time they were able to drive the field. So the only time they've been able to drive the field and get a touchdown was right here, because that was in the end zone, so they started at the 20, they drove down the field, they got a touchdown. The first time they drove down the field and got a touchdown was 7 minutes and 41 seconds left in the fourth quarter. The next series, Jameis Winston, gets sacked, the next play he throws a pick. The t Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers started at the Saints' 29-yard line. Do you know how many yards they gained? Zero. He completed a pass to Scotty Miller for no gain, then threw two incomplete passes and then kicked a field goal. That's it. So they got six points off of turnovers, had one seven-point drive, and then Jameis gets the ball back and throws a pick six. And that's it. That's all the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did. Then Jameis goes down and, and drives down the field and gets a touchdown to make it seven to or ten to twenty, which is how the game ends. What what exactly did the Buccaneers offense do that was impressive? Nothing. 
And as far as the defense, again, I mean, they, they, they are getting sacks. They're, they're doing a decent job, but some of these are just complete. I mean, come on, man, five turnovers, and, and every single one of those throws should not have happened. So there's at least three plays. If you want to say, well, they punched the ball out on those other two fumbles that we recovered, okay, I guess, maybe, I don't know. Credit to the defense. Those three interceptions never should have been thrown, ever. One was, again, underthrown. One was just thrown only to the defense, and one was thrown to a guy standing there with defenders just staring. All right, we got some solid answers here on the uh, injury report. Sammy Watkins is officially out. And then for questionable, Christian Watson, Mercedes Lewis, Randall Cobb, David Bakhtiari, all questionable. Elton Jenkins, Alan Lazard, and Kenny Clark are not listed for game status, which I'm assuming is all-go status. Don't know. On the Buccaneers side, though, as much as that report kind of sucks, Chris Godwin, wide receiver, out. Akeem Hicks, as we already know, is out. Beyond that, Kate Otten, the tight end, doubtful, as is Donovan Smith. That is massive. Talked yesterday um, about the offensive line issues that they have. Donovan Smith has already been out. They had a guy that came in, Wells, I think. Wells is now on IR. If Donovan Smith doesn't come back, they've got some guy going up, presumably against Preston Smith, who kind of lives on that side of the line. Leonard Fournette, Russell Gage, Julio Jones, and Brashad Perriman are all questionable in this game. Julio is said to be a game-time decision. But anyways, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to convince you that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are a garbage football team. I, I just want to be honest about what we're looking at, all right? They played like garbage against the Dallas Cowboys, who, who well, the, the Dallas Cowboys played like hot garbage. Tampa took advantage of that. The, the Cowboys also turned the ball over, which gave the Tampa Bay Buccaneers points. And again, it's one thing to have a defense that's doing a great job taking the ball away, and that's great, but it depends on if, it, if the defense is making plays or if it's the offense kind of making stupid mistakes. And usually it's a combination of both. But in that Saints game, I, don't, I, I can't speak to the fumbles as much, but the three interceptions should not have happened. And granted, one of those picks was basically a punt, so maybe you're okay with it, I guess. I don't know. But, and I don't even know what the down was, but the point is, you know, they, they at least started all the way down on the other end. But this is a different Bucks team that is struggling in 2022. They are. They're struggling. Defense is doing a good job of taking the ball away and, and being opportunistic, making plays when it matters. One of the other things they're doing very well is even when they allow the team to drive down, they get real stingy at the end. They get that big critical third down sack. It's what the Packers did back in whatever, 19 or 20, where they were, you know, they, they would just, they weren't the greatest defense in the world, but man, they, they showed up when it mattered. But I just don't want everyone to get the impression that this is the same version of that Tampa Bay team that had an elite passing offense that you absolutely could not run against, and that brought some serious, serious pressure. We'll get into the pressure stuff in a minute. Why don't we take a break right here so that I don't have to keep wondering when we should take a break. Patreon.com, I think it is. (laughs) Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. I'm trying to type it in as I do it, and my brain locked up. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month. Also, packernet.substack.com. I did the um, looking at the rookie wide receivers as well as the run game. That was a lot of fun to do. Bottom line, I think the run blocking is going really well. Certainly not perfect. Almost never is. But they're doing a great job. Aaron Jones is a complete free. A.J. Dillon kind of annoyed me a little bit in this game, but overall did a good job. Trust your blocks, man. Trust your blocks. But if you want, you can go grab a free subscription over at packernet.substack.com. 
can go watch those videos as well as whatever else you feel like doing over there. And Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry is the charity we're supporting. You can find a uh, link to that pinned to the top of my Twitter and the Packernet Podcast Facebook group, or just go to FertileGroundRanch.org. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so I want to, again, credit where it's due. This is a good football team, but they are struggling, and they are not the same as they were in 2022. Let me give you a couple of, of things to think about here. In 2020, just looking at defensive tackles, third highest win rate was Vita Vea. Vita Vea had his absolute break. You know how I said everybody kind of has that one peak spike year? 28, uh, 2020 was that year for Vita Vea. 89 overall pass rush grade, 23 pressures on 189 attempts. But it wasn't just Vea. William Golston was also on the team. He ranked 11th. He was tied with DeForest Buckner at 11th with 15.3%. He had 56 pressures on 460 attempts and included three sacks, which doesn't seem like much. But again, the pressures were very high. But that's not all. If you just look at pressures, fifth overall in the entire NFL, along as far as defensive tackles, Indomitian Sue with 62 pressures and eight sacks. We're just looking at defensive tackles. So you've got three really, really scary. We're just looking at defensive tackles and we're just looking at pass rush, not even run defense or edge rushers or linebackers or any of that. Fifth most pressures among defensive tackles was Indomitian Sue. Tied for sixth in sacks with Fletcher Cox and Chris Jones and Quinnen Williams. Might as well just say fifth because it's, it's Aaron Donald and then everybody else. Then if you look at edge rushers, look at sacks. You got Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaquille Barrett right next to each other, ranked 5th, tied for 5th, and 8th. Jason Pierre-Paul with 13 sacks, Shaq Barrett with 12. Shaquille Barrett, number 1 in pressures in the entire NFL in 2020 with 98 pressures. The next highest was TJ Watt with 75. This year, looking at win rate along defensive tackles, Vita Vea is 17th. So he went from, what, 3rd down to 17th. He went from a 90, what did I say, 90-some-odd or an 89 overall grade, pass rush grade, to a 66. He has six pressures on 56 attempts. He's got two sacks, which is a high number for him, 
So it's going to seem like, oh, man, because that's all anybody cares about is sacks. Oh, man, he's, he's still as dominant as ever. No, he's not. His pressures are down. His wins are down. Everything's down. It's very similar to Zadarius in 2020, right? It was a down year, but it just didn't look like it because the sack stayed high. Kenny Clark, on the other hand, number two. Number two in win rate. Number two pass rush grade behind only Aaron Donald. Number two in pressures behind just Chris Jones. Kenny Clark is everything I've ever wanted him to be. All that stuff I talked about, about, you know, we hype up Kenny, but he's not exactly what he used to be and all that stuff. That's out the window now. He is the version of Kenny that we all have been saying he is for a long time, but really wasn't. This is elite, dominant, freakish Kenny. This is Aaron Donald and then Kenny and then everybody else. That's what it is right now. Aaron Donald, Gap, Kenny, Gap, everybody else. But beyond that, who else is there aside from Vita Vea? If you look at pressures right now, Vita Vea has six, which is tied for 14th. Who else is there from Tampa? After that is Akeem Hicks, who's tied for 50th with two. Akeem Hicks is not playing in this game. Then you've got three of the lowest in the entire NFL down at the bottom, Rakeem Nunez-Rochez, William Golston, and Logan Hall. Between the three of them, they have two total pressures. Again, if you want to zoom out a little bit uh, from pressures and look at win rate, Vita Vea, as I said, is 17th. Akeem Hicks, who's not playing, is 40th. So the next highest is Rakeem Nunez-Rochez, ranked 58th, winning 9.1% of the time. Remember, a pressure rate of 10% is adequate. Your win rate is higher than your pressure rate because a pressure is automatically a win, not all wins are pressures. He has one pressure on 33 attempts. This is your number two interior pass rusher next to Vita Vea, who is having a down year. I'm just, just to be clear. And then after that is William Golston, who again, who was super dominant back in the day, 6.5% win rate. He has one pressure on 31 attempts. And then you've got Logan Hall, the rookie, who has a 2.6% win rate. 2.6% win rate. Good Lord. Zero pressures on 43 attempts. Essentially what that means is he's beat the guy across from him one time in 43 attempts. That really sucks. That's what they've got right now as far as interior pass rush. Now, off the edge, they still have Shaquille Barrett, and Shaquille Barrett is still a very good pass rusher. There's no doubt about it. However, he's not exactly the most elite dominant guy that he used to be. Remember, in 2020, he led the entire NFL in pressures. Where does he rank in pressures right now? He's tied for eighth with 10, which is behind Preston Smith. Here's the other thing, though. We've got Preston Smith, who's doing a better job in terms of total pressures than Shaq Barrett, but we also have Rashawn with eight. Who's their number two? Joe Tryon. He has five pressures in 53 attempts. Now, Shaq Barrett, pretty dominant in terms of win rate, 25%. That's higher than all the Packers. Again, I'm not saying he's not good. He's very, very good. But where's the second guy? You got to go all the way down to 57th and 58th are the next two. Joe Tryon is 57th, winning 13.7% of the time. Anthony Nelson, 13.6% of the time. This ain't the same group. Again, they've got sacks. So it looks like, man, you got... You got the one edge rusher with two sacks, who's just one of the more dominant guys. Then you got this Joe Tryon guy. He's already got a sack. Anthony Nelson's got a sack. The whole team, they've all got these sacks. Yeah, they got sacks. Anthony Nelson has two pressures, and one of them was a sack. How sustainable do you think that is? And by the way, listen, I I know that there's some people, some of you have already turned this off because you had this thought, and you're like, all right, I'm not listening. If this is the path he's going to go down. Here's the thought. Okay, it's only been two games. That's correct, but here's the problem. 2020 was two years ago. 
2021 is the one year in between. There's been a gradual decline. 2021 was not as good as 2020. 2022 is so far not as good as 20 is 2021 was. 2020 was that peak year for the entire defense. Half of these guys are gone. The other half are, are declining. Some more subtly than others. But they don't have another edge rusher after Shaquille Barrett. They don't have it. There's no Jason Pierre-Paul on the team anymore. He's gone. There is no Indomitian Sue. He's gone. And even if he was there, it wouldn't matter. The guy's not good anymore. And William Golston has fallen off a cliff. And Vita Vea is not the same player he was last year or this year. Now, I, I think Vita is maybe a little bit better than he has been right now, but even if he gets back to his 2021 numbers, it ain't 20 or yeah, it ain't 2020. And remember, I'm covering pass rush because we've already established they're not doing a good job of stopping the run, probably because a lot of those interior guys are not there anymore, as well as the edge guys. So, so the whole point of this is, okay, they can't stop the run anywhere, but they can still bring that heat. Can they? Is this one of the premier pass rush teams in the NFL right now? You do still have Devin White, that's for sure. He's leading the league in sacks with three among linebackers. So they bring a lot of heat from a lot of different places, but they don't have as many wells to draw from anymore. They always had Devin White. In 2020, Devin White led the entire NFL in sacks among linebackers. So that's not new. But one thing I know Tampa, Tampa Bay does have is some uh, a real good secondary, just like the Packers have. So if I were to sort of reframe our view of Tampa Bay, who is going to be playing in Tampa, which is a road game, which is more complicated, in the heat, which is not ideal for any team, and maybe it's just a freakish thing again for the Packers. By the way, if we lose 38-0, to please spare me the, oh, I thought there wasn't a thing. I don't want to hear it. Here's me telling you it's entirely possible we get blown out by the Bucks. okay? So save it. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are dealing with a somewhat suboptimal Tom Brady. I've looked into the numbers. I can't exactly tell you what the problem is, but here's what I can tell you. Tom Brady has not had a two-week stretch starting the season like this since 2014. He's never gone two weeks with this low of play since 2014. What does that mean? I don't know. I'm just telling you the information. If you want to know more about 2014, he didn't really hit his full stride until like week five-ish or six-ish, but he still ended with an 85 overall grade. By the way, they played in the Super Bowl, and that was against Seattle and the whole thing. So, uh, no, it absolutely doesn't mean that Tom Brady's done and his life is over and everything's a failure. It does mean that for whatever reason, he's off to a very uncharacteristically slow start. And that isn't even to say that he's playing terribly. Just from a grade standpoint, it's basically 70 and 70. But Tom Brady seems to be struggling. And he lost all his top weapons right now. If you look at the top receiving yards, 132 yards came from Mike Evans. He's not playing. 69 yards came from Julio Jones. He may not play. That came in one game, by the way. Rashad Perriman, also questionable for this game. He comes in third with 45 yards. Russell Gage, who's questionable, 41 yards. Then you got Chris Godwin. He's out. I mean, we got to see who plays and who doesn't. But just the fact that Mike Evans is out is massive. I mean, he has one-third of their offense, 50% of their touchdowns, one-third of their yards about a quarter of the total receptions. If you're looking at grades, Mike Evans, 82 overall grade. Julio Jones in that one game he played, 76 overall grade. Otherwise, 63, 59, 66, 62, 45, 51, 40, and 47 of the receiving grades. It's not a good group. Kate Otten is, is not playing very well, despite what our guest said yesterday via PFF. He's got four receiving yards, 47 receiving grade, 69 pass blocking grade, but he's out. So whatever his backup can do, we'll see at the tight end position. 
I guess that would be Brait if he's playing, 48 overall grade, 51 receiving grade, 29 drop grade. So you've got, again, a struggling Brady with a massive question mark at the, let's just call it, receiver position, which is anybody that catches a pass. Because I don't know who's playing, but I know his top guy isn't playing. There's a decent chance his number two guy isn't playing. And two to three to four other guys might not play. Leonard Fournette, the guy that they're really going to have to lean on in this game, is ranked 50th out of 60 running backs. As a running back, they've leaned on him a massive amount. But he has a 4.3 yard average. That's not a bad thing. I'm just saying it's not super spectacular. If we're looking at rushing grade, Aaron Jones is number one in the NFL with an 89.8 overall grade. A.J. Dillon ranks ninth. Leonard Fournette, as I said, is 50th. It's not really a close race. Aaron Jones getting 9.1 yards per attempt. You want to hear a really shocking stat? Leonard Fournette has 11 more yards on 25 more attempts. He has more than double the amount of attempts. Leonard Fournette has 45 attempts compared to Aaron Jones is uh, 20. If you combine Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, it's 45 compared to 48. Leonard Fournette has 192 yards. The Packers have 287. And so again, because people just like to look at raw numbers, they're going to look at the raw sack numbers of Tampa Bay. They're going to look at the raw rushing numbers of Leonard Fournette and say he's fifth in, in rushing yards right now. So you got Aaron Jones and Leonard Fournette, fifth and sixth. No, that's BS. Leonard Fournette is fifth in, in yards because he's third in attempts. He should be third in yards because he's third in attempts, but he's not. Only two guys have more carries. Joe Mixon has one more carry with 46, and Nick Chubb has 62 attempts. Because apparently that's all they do in that team. So Fournette is not a top-tier running back. They don't have top-tier wide receivers. Tom Brady is struggling. Not bad, mind you, but not Tom Brady. I think right now he's like 25th in passing yards. In fact, Rodgers and Tom Brady are, are nearly identical. 29 yards for Rodgers, 402 for Tom Brady. Both have two touchdowns and one interception. The offensive line with Walton, Gedeke, Hainsey, Mason, and Wirfs is not a good offensive line. All due respect to Tristan Wirfs, who is a very good uh, right tackle, who, by the way, again, just two weeks, but having the worst start, I shouldn't say that, he's, he's so far having a worse year than his rookie year and last year. Same with Shaq Mason. Shaq Mason's grades since 2016, he's been with the Patriots for a very long time. Let me just read all his grades, with the last one being currently in Tampa. Ready? 84, 81, 86, 75, 85, 86, 62. 80, 80, 80, 70, 80, 80, 60. Struggling in Tampa. And again, that's with the entire center to left side of the line being just nobodies, a massively struggling rookie, some guy that never played, and then Hainsey at center, who I don't, I don't know, I don't know who this dude is. Actually, probably the best center we've played so far this year, <laughs> which, which isn't me pumping up Hainsey, I'm just saying. So that's the offense. No weapons. A less Brady version of Brady. A human version of Brady. Let's put it that way. A subpar running back in Leonard Fournette. No tight ends. And a well below average offensive line. On defense, Vita Vea right, 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 right now is ranked 59th out of 108 defensive tackles. Hall is ranked 106th out of 108. They don't have very good defensive tackles. You still have Shaq Barrett, probably not at his ultimate best, but still one of the better pressure generators in the NFL. Nobody else, though. Remember, this is unique for Tampa. Um, now, technically, there is still blitzing Devin White, 
But in terms of the guys up front that generate pressure, as of right now, the only guy that's that's there aside from Barrett that is and has any history of being able to generate pressure is Vita Vea, and he's not doing it right now. But even if he gets back to his normal self, two guys on that defensive line is is not very much. I mean, the the Packers are doing significantly better than that. Just across the board, the linebackers are quite good, but Devin White is a little bit overrated now. This is his best year, year four, so far, where he ranks 32nd. But I went back and watched um, this last game. It is, it is interesting because I, I got a chance to watch Tampa's linebackers, the Saints linebackers, and then the Bears and the Packers linebackers, having watched those two games. Very different styles. Unfortunately, I always come away liking the Bears linebackers, no matter what. Even back in the day, you know, two, three, four, five years ago, it doesn't matter when it is, whenever I watch, I like the Bears linebackers. But anyways... I feel like Devin White was my was the least impressive of the group. The guy will massively, massively overrun something for no reason whatsoever. He just gets it in his head that he understands what's happening and breaks his entire assignment and just starts running. There was a play where, I mean, I, I don't think the Saints did a very good job of, of making sure that all of their blocking assignments were what they needed to be. And I, and I don't know exactly how that's supposed to work. There were several plays where I'm thinking the only thing I can think of is that this should have been checked out of. But way too often, you'd have a linebacker that's unaccounted for. And in, and in at least one of those plays, Devin White is that un, unaccounted for linebacker, and he's just ran himself out of the play for no reason. However, all that being said, I still think this is one of the more formidable linebacker groups, especially with, with Devin White seemingly doing much better than before, where he's not one of the worst in football anymore via PFF. And Levante David just stays near the top. He's ranked 20th right now, but he's just, he's just solid. And I tend to think their corners are very similar to our corners. Um, Jamel Dean right now is ranked second overall in the NFL, and it's not that unusual for him. He's not having that much better of a year than usual. This is another guy that gets no love in comparison to you know guys that whose name you hear all the time, but Jamel Dean has always been, since his rookie year, a very good corner. He's sort of their Jair. Then you've got Carlton Davis. I think the fans really like him. He gets a good amount of hype from a lot of people. But as far as grades and whatnot, he's decent. He's sort of like our Stokes. And then they've got safety Antoine Winfield, I believe, that comes into the slot. This, this guy last year was the second highest graded safety in football with a 90 overall grade. Right now he's sitting at an 80, so he is dominant. So we can call him our Razul, but again, he's also a safety. And right now, when they're in their base and you have Winfield and Edwards at the safety spot... You have the number two and the number six safety in football. Now, I'm skeptical of Mike Edwards, who was a third-round pick back in 2019. He's having a very uncharacteristically high, um, highly graded season. I have to assume that it has something to do with the interception. When you have, you know, eight targets, three receptions, 30 yards, and a pick, that's, that's you know, 9.4 pass rating. That's pretty solid. Can you keep that up for an entire season is kind of another, another issue altogether. But all that to say, the DBs here are, you know, if, if the Packers don't have the best group of DBs, this is probably it. Defensively, I would say they're very similar to the Packers. Solid group of, of linebackers. In fact, similar, even. Their Levante David is our Devondre Campbell. Their Devin White is our Koi Walker. Again, I went through the corners, very similar. When they're in nickel and they got Edwards and Ryan out there at safety, that's pretty much like Amos and Savage. You got one guy that you like and one guy that's like, mm, I don't know about that. The big difference here is that we have two pass rushers, I would say, that are better than their number one. And we have uh, Kenny Clark, who's playing at a much higher level than Vita Vea. In addition, our quarterback is playing at a higher level than their quarterback. 
marginally, but I think he is. Our offensive line, I believe, will be better than their offensive line. Our tight ends are better than their tight ends. Our running backs are clearly better than Leonard Fournette. And based on the injuries and suspension, I think our wide receivers are actually slightly better than their wide receivers. Now, I'm struggling with this because I'm looking at Tampa and I can't get it out of my head that we are going to go there and we're going to struggle. I mean, we only got seven against Minnesota and 27 seems decent. But considering the stats I told you where 35 is, is kind of like on the low end for a Sunday night in Lambeau, scoring 27 against one of the worst teams in football at home Sunday night, it doesn't instill a massive amount of confidence considering this is on the road in Tampa against by far the best defense we've seen all year. Minnesota is not on the same level as Tampa. Even with all the stuff I just said to you, the corners here are way better. Linebackers are better. I think Shaq Barrett might be a better pass rusher than Daniil and Zadir. Not, not combined, but by himself, yes. The only thing that's giving me a lot of optimism here is the Packers' pass or run blocking and the Buccaneers' sort of inability to really stop it. It's, a lot of that's going to come down to the linebackers. If they can help out and if this, if this group can really stop the linebackers, I think we're going to struggle to pass, but it's not much better for them on the other end. You know, again, remember, they didn't get a legitimate score until midway through the fourth quarter against the New Orleans Saints. And, and the New Orleans Saints have a, a good um, defense. Don't get me wrong. I would probably take the Packers' defense. I know we have a better pass rush than they do. In fact, PFF just posted this on social media. Highest pressures generated. And again, one of the, the issues I said is um, none of these things, whether it's SIS or PFF, none of them, which is really annoying, but... They posted it anyways. In fifth place, looking at higher, higher at 40.7%, the 49ers 42.9, Commanders 43.9, Bills 51.3, Packers 64%. 64%. The, the Saints are not on the list, which means they're probably sub 40%. We're at 64%. So all that stuff, because again, remember, I'm saying, hey, where's that defensive front we've been hearing all about in camp? It's been there. We've apparently just been struggling a little bit with, with, with our run defense, which I have no anticipation of that getting fixed because it's a Packers defense, and that's just, that's just a thing that will always be. But then the second graphic that got posted here, highest coverage grade through week two among cornerbacks. Number one, Darius Slay. Number two, DJ Reader. Number three, Razul Douglas. Number four, Jair Alexander. So we have the number three and number four corners in terms of coverage, and by far the number one pass rush. All due respect to the Saints, because they got a good group. I would take the Packers. And by the way, for those of you wondering, I thought you said Jamel Dean was uh, number two. What's up with that? This is strictly coverage grade. Jair Alexander has an 81.7 coverage grade. Jamel Dean has an 81.6. So he's very close. Jair barely edges him out. The biggest difference here is Jamel Dean has a 71.2 run defense grade. Jair, I haven't looked, but I know it's not that. <laughs> I know it's not that. Uh, he has not had his best start as far as run defense goes. Razul, maybe, not Jair. So I'll, I'll be honest. I, I, th I really think we have to lean on our defense in this game, and we need the defense to show up in a big way. And, that, and let's be honest, that did not happen last time. It wasn't just an offensive failure, and it certainly wasn't just an Aaron Rodgers failure, which is how this is constantly being framed. To be completely honest, I don't know what's worse, giving up 38 points or only scoring 10, because they're pretty similar in my boat. Now, and, and let's be clear, that was a real bad beating, no question about it. But in 2020, as good as the offense was, the defense was nowhere near as good. They got real good toward the end, which was very promising and why we thought maybe we'd have a real good run. But their first game of the year, they gave up 34 points to the Vikings. We smoked them. 
but we still gave up 34. Two weeks later, we give up 30 to the Saints, and then two weeks, three technically with the bye later, we give up 38 to the Buccaneers. So every other week, 34, 30, and 38. Two weeks later, we give up 28. Three weeks later, we give up 34. And that was kind of the end until we meet Tampa Bay again and give up 31. But the defense was much more prone to that. Again, right out of the gate, week one, 34 points. As much as everybody wants to talk about how bad of a beating they got against this elite offense of the Minnesota Vikings, they gave up 23 points, and we followed it up next the next week with 10 allowed. In both games, massive failures. That's with massive failures. Giving up record-breaking reception yardage to the Minnesota Vikings wide receiver, still only giving up 23. And then we're just allowing them to gash us on the ground, the Chicago Bears, and we only give up 10 points. Can you imagine if a game was played without just massive mistakes? You know, clean up the coverage and tackle. That's it. But it it really, for me, is going to come down to the, the defenses have to show up. If either defense, for whatever reason, doesn't show up, it's game over. Because the other defense is. And so if the Packers real quick give up like 14 points, the game may as well just be over. And vice versa. I know that's silly in today's NFL, but that, that's, that's where I'm at. You have to be stout. And offensively, you really got to pick your spots. And so what I really, really, again, I really like about this matchup, and I think it's going to be very similar to what we did to the Chicago Bears, but we just have to be able to execute it, is being able to run the ball. But more importantly than that, not just because it's something we can do, it's about wearing down their defense and sustaining drives, keeping our defense fresh so we can keep that pass rush rate up, which, by the way, the ridiculous thing about that is, is the fact somebody put out the stat. I don't know who put it up or how accurate it is, but Joe Barry has blitzed exactly zero times. Zero blitzes. I don't think we're ever going to blitz. If you can get to the quarterback 64% of the time without blitzing, what the heck is the point? Why bring a linebacker? Why bring an extra guy? I mean, if you want to do it to mix it up once in a while, I mean, heck, it's against Tom Brady. If you come into this game and the Bucs are saying, hey, they're not going to blitz us, and you prepare for that, you know we got the personnel. I'd have like one or two in my back pocket, and that's it. But you got to be real selective, because Tom Brady, if that gets picked up and Tom sees that guy coming, you just killed yourself. But that's the beauty of it. You don't have to. Don't bring the guy. Don't give Tom that easy shot. You blitz the, blitz the, uh, the, the, the slot corner. He's going to see it from a mile away, send a little signal to his, his receiver, and he's going to gash us for 15 yards. Don't even give him the opportunity. We're going to get to him. But you really need to wear away at him. And, and, you know, Tampa likes to have those big guys in there like Vita Vea. They're good football players, but I have to assume they wear out a little faster. You force him out there to try to stop the run, by halftime that dude is cooked. And if they want to pull them, good. There's nobody else. But again, I think it's going to be a defensive battle and you're going to have to pick your spots and steal the points whenever you can. None of this going for fourth and two at the 15-yard line. Take the three points because I think points are going to be at a premium. So I'm going to... My gut is telling me Tampa's going to win the game. But after everything I just said, as far as on paper goes, I'm just going to roll the dice. It's a Packers podcast. Why not be optimistic? Believe in that defense you've been talking about. Believe in that run game you've been talking about. You're looking at the numbers for Tampa. Believe your eyes. I'm going to say 17-20 Packers. I was going to say uh, 17-10, but I want it to be closer than that. I want to, I want to believe there's going to be a, a field goal difference in here somewhere. So a 17-17 game that the Packers close out with a field goal, something like that. So 17-20 Green Bay Packers win in a nail biter. So anyways, we'll leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.